Well, good evening and welcome back to the Red Dirt Golf Hour. Jared Gallagher, Spencer Drury, and TJ Eckert here with you this evening following a Masters Sunday. Boys, how are we doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. There's a uh, quite a bit of drama. Maybe not. Some people are saying that there's no drama at the end of Masters now. <laughs> this is kind of what I've been hearing. So, But it's still first major of the year. Good to get it under our belt. Golf season's here. I'm here. I got beat up with my hot take apparently from last week. So I'm, uh, I'm here. I'm going to enjoy my anticlimactic 18 with a, uh, a Seve par from, from Ron. Well, and we'll, we'll get into that anticlimax of a day, but first we have to introduce our very special guest who's joining us for this master's recap. He is a recurring contributor to ESPN's college game day, the executive director of horns up for peace and 2020 influencer of the year. Please welcome Red Dirt Golf Ambassador, Eddie Radosevich. Eddie, how are you doing this evening? Gentlemen, what's going on? Uh, good afternoon, good evening. I, it, it brings a little bit more heat when I have a professional uh, that is doing the introduction. So, Jared, that felt good. That felt like, that felt regular, and uh, we might have to hire you to do some voiceover work for the franchise. Yeah, and I do, I do voicemails as well, so just let me know <laughs> Perfect. if you need to do voicemails. Perfect. So. Guys, um, let's get in your initial thoughts for the Masters this week. And I know Easter Sunday, kind of tough if you've got family. Um, I was on the road for the back nine on Sunday. Uh, but, you know, I I kind of thought you go back to the, the anticlimactic side of it, Spencer. Um, you know, that was kind of the harping of what the PGA Championship was in Tulsa last year. And I thought the PGA Championship had way more drama on the back nine uh, than what we saw on Sunday. Well, I'm going to circle back because – I caught so much heat for calling 18. I, I made kind of two hot takes right in a row. One of the worst finishing holes on tour. I'll walk that back. It was not, that was a little bit tongue in cheek. Good for but you. Whenever I, when I said that it was an anticlimactic hole, it kind of was proven. Now it ranked up there in difficulty, but Rom didn't hit it past the reds in the final <laughs> round on Sunday. And he still walked away with a par. I mean, that's kind of like, textbook anticlimactic it was the biggest moment with the leader on sunday and he still got a par um yeah i mean it it wasn't dramatic i, I feel like once rom got through 13 it's pretty much over at that point right yeah final final round 69 for john rom i honestly thought that the back nine or excuse me, the second nine. There you before, go. Yeah, Good job. It's taken me two weeks to figure that out. But the second nine on Saturday, which ended up concluding on Sunday, was way more um, action-packed and interesting um, for, for me because you had so many guys that were making moves there on that second nine. Um, and then, you know, it was just kind of uh, Sunday at Augusta in the afternoon, per perfect conditions. Guys were going low. You saw Phil. Um, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit. Uh, you saw some guys make some moves, but the guys that had an opportunity in, um, obviously, Brooks Kepka, Victor Hovland, some of those guys just couldn't make it happen. Maybe they tightened up a little bit. Uh, I'm not really sure. Ed, I'll take your uh, your expert opinion. I think you're the, you're the only one on this show that's actually been to Augusta National, so I would, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the, the lack of drama maybe on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was – kind of awesome I, I kept waiting for somebody to make a move uh but rom was just he was just so steady and brooks was never never able to get anything going uh there in the second uh nine on on sunday afternoon and i i really thought that like there was a point i guess on it was right before rom birdied 14 that i thought 
maybe this could get interesting. And then it was kind of over. So yeah, it was, it was kind of anticlimactic just as far as like, I guess, tension and, and what you wanted as opposed to like a drama filled, uh, uh, back nine on uh, on Sunday at Augusta, but at the same time, uh, you know, I Rom did so much, and I I thought like waking up on Sunday morning with the thirty holes left for him to be able to kind of battle and get over that hump just within almost the the first thing on Sunday morning, it was almost kind of written in there that he was going to win the tournament, and uh, I was I was a little bit surprised that Brooks never really made that move because we had kind of come to know this Brooks Kepka. Uh, as far as a guy that was kind of an alpha, kind of a guy that uh, you don't want to be paired with in the final round on a Sunday at a, at a major particularly. And, uh, you know, the last two times that he's been in that spot now, going back to Kiwa Island with the PGA Championship with Phil last year, uh, he's faltered. And I think that it's a little, like, it, he's almost taken a little bit of a hit. But at the same time, it was, it was also one of those things, too, that I was just so damn happy to see all of these guys playing well at one point, and whether it be live guys or PGA tour guys, uh, I was just kind of excited to see them all playing well at the same time and being in the same event. Uh, I don't know. So I guess you go back to like just being happy that they were all there together and playing again. But uh, yeah, I would have liked to have seen a speed or, you know, somebody put a little bit more pressure on Rom. It just seemed like he was kind of in uh, cruise control and, they kind of mirror each other. You know, I was listening to some national podcasts and the shotgun start guys talked about it a little bit, just as far as, uh, mirror, uh, Rom, Rom and Kepka kind of mirror each other as far as there's not a whole lot of like excitement in hitting fairways and greens, but that's what they were able to do. And, uh, when it, when a, when a guy's in cruise control, like those guys were on, uh, on Sunday and especially, uh, Rom, uh, there isn't anything sexy about hitting fairways and uh, and, and two putting uh, and, and making par and getting out of there, taking your birdies when you can. And uh, I don't know. There there is like a certain level of like respect, and uh, you kind of leaves you in awe that they were so uh, almost robotical at some points. But at the same time, uh, to do that, some of the spots that they were asked to do, and then you remember that. Oh, by the way, you know John Rom four putted number one. I, I left the radio station on Thursday morning thinking like. Damn, did did Rom just play himself out of the tournament on the first hole of the of the of the with seventy one holes left? Is he done now? But you know, obviously, what he was able to put together on Sun on uh, Thursday, playing those final seventeen at nine under is just it's incredible. You know, we talk a lot about, and I'm probably gonna steal Jared's thunder with the uh, Scheffler four putting the last hole to win the Masters in twenty two, and then Rom four putting the first hole in twenty three to win. I think that was probably the stat we were gonna go to next. You think about this lack of drama, right? But you think about the winners that we've had at Augusta the past few years. So Rom wins this year. He's, what, number one in the world now. Scheffler won last year. He's He was number one in the world that time. You know, Hideki's kind of random. But then DJ won the COVID Masters in 2020. He was the best player in the world. So maybe the problem isn't so much that there's a lack of drama. It's the fact that the guy who's leading the tournament is clearly the best player in the world at that time. And he's just better than everybody else. And so... You think about, you know, even Tiger, it was Tiger, so there was the drama there, but he had a two-shot lead, I think, playing 18 and 19. So he didn't, there wasn't a ton of drama there other than the fact it was Tiger coming back from his back surgeries. The drama that we've seen at Augusta is when a guy like Charles Schwartzel makes a bunch of birdies on the second nine to come back and win, or, you know, Tiger has the crazy chip, chip in that people remember that year. 
that's where the drama comes from is like those guys coming from behind. But when you're trying to chase down the best player in the world, it's hard to do. And so I think, you know, Spencer started off talking about his hot take. The hot take isn't that 18 is a bad hole. It's that it follows a bunch of other really good holes. And so uh, if you, if you hit the green on 16, you really, you're, there's no drama left after that. The worst you can do is make bogey for the most part. So it was, I wish there was a more exciting winner. I think Rom's a likable winner. And I think the the storyline of live versus PGA was there. Uh, it's just, it's just hard. It's hard if nobody's making a run at a guy like a Rom late to, to come back. And so that was the, the, the hardest part for me was how long it freaking took. And I told everybody, I told you, Sam Bennett takes forever. I told you. And then what did he do? Come on, All man. Freaking weekend. It's a major. It's a major. It doesn't take his time. Well, he's, he's he's one of the great stories of the Masters this year, and you're just dogging on him. It was All terrible. Week. Him and Patrick Cantley. Everybody talks smack about Cantley. Cantley has no excuse. Yeah. Can't everybody was talking so much smack on how slow Cantley was playing, but Sam Bennett took just as much time, but he's an amateur. So you know what? We gotta we gotta clap for him as he comes up 18. Congrats. <laughs> you shot 76, 74 on the weekend, but let's give you a standing O. Whatever. Man, Go ahead, Spencer. You're really dunking on a college. Damn, yeah. Good night. <laughs> just uh, uh, microaggressions is what it is. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh do you guys think that the not the live versus PGA was kind of the drama, but do you think there would have been more drama if it would have been uh, another PGA player? Going up against Rom on the final day, I, I I can't help but think that maybe Brooks was just a little, I don't want to say ill prepared, but he's not used to playing the fields that show up at the Genesis or the API or something like that. Um, I, I don't know if it's a a weaker field. I think that's kind of up for interpretation from a, a live versus an elevated event on the PGA. But do you think that would have prepared Kepka a little bit more had he not been playing on the live? And was kind of used to facing the ROMs, the JTs, the Rory's and everything like that week in, week out. I have a couple of points to this. Number one, I, I don't think that he's lost necessarily that. I mean, he's only been on live for 12 months, right? I mean, it's not less than that, nine months or 10 months. So I don't know that he's lost that, um, you know, that competitive nature against a tough field of golf. Um, I do, however, to your point, think that if it was Rory in the final pairing with a live guy, uh, and by the way, Phil making a run there at the very end, then that drama would have just been amplified for sure. Um, you know, I, John Rahm, he's kind of, he's a pretty likable guy, right? I mean, yeah, he's got some blowups on the golf course came maybe earlier in his career, but, um, I don't know of many people that have too many bad things to say about a guy like John Rahm, right? He just works hard. He's passionate about the game. He's got that Spanish attitude about him. There's just not a whole lot of negative things to say about him. Rory, if there is any negative, it's that he is so overly passionate about the the state of the PGA, uh, the PGA Tour, right? I mean, he is so pro PGA Tour, it feels almost like the political uh, area that we're in right now as a nation, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've got these two sides that absolutely will butt heads, regardless of what the issue is. Um, if, if Rory, who's kind of this, you know, the head of this PGA Tour beast, the spokesperson, if you will, of the PGA Tour, and then you've got somebody like Phil who's had, um, you know, said so many things um, one way or the other that has kind of got the ball rolling on all of this. I think that drama would have been intensified greatly. It, it's interesting to me, too, that, like, I think some of the Rory stuff, like, he, it almost feels like he 
had to speak up on it and he was looked at as this leader when I don't know if that was entirely comfortable for him to do or that he wanted to be put into that position to have to defend uh, the tour or, you know, some of the stuff that Jay Monahan didn't do. It's almost like he was almost the de facto guy because he's Rory and because he's there, because he was always been this heir apparent to uh, Tiger or whoever. So, like, I, I don't know if, like, looking back on it, if he would have been as outspoken uh, as he maybe has been. Not to say that he hasn't supported the PGA Tour and he's going to benefit from the tour and the advancements that they've made. But, you know, it's kind of interesting now that you look up and all of a sudden he's withdrawn from the RBC this week. Uh, this is the second designated event that he's missed. And it's just kind of fascinating to me that, like, I don't know how comfortable he, I, I think he's comfortable by uh, by all intents and purposes, but I don't know if he necessarily has wanted it or seeked it out as much as maybe it might look because of some of the stuff that he has said. So that it's kind of interesting, but it is fun to talk about Rom in that, like, I think that he's very fascinating in that, like, we kind of see him grow up before our eyes from this guy that, you know, would MF everything and get so pissed off out there on the golf course. He certainly matured. Uh, And, you know, I think that because of the maturation on the course, we've seen, you know, obviously him find a winner circle more and more. And over the last 13 months, he's been one of the best golfers in the world. It was kind of funny going into last week, even uh, he kind of somehow slid under the radar. Everybody wanted Mm -hmm. to talk about Rory. Everybody wanted to talk about Scotty. And then, you know, all of a sudden you look up and John Rahm shoots nine under the final 17 holes on Thursday. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy was the best golfer in the world for the better part of the last six, seven months. And what did he do really quick? He he missed the cut at, or he withdrew from the players, right? He didn't make the cut at the match play, or he withdrew from Bay Hill, one of the two. I'm getting those. Yeah, he, well, he played really well in the first round of the players, yes. and everybody goes, well, there's John Rahm. He's just going to run away with it again. Yes. And then that bad weather moved in, and he played oh. awful on Friday. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep. Well, I think it's time, too, that we – maybe we start shifting the narrative from Rory being kind of the spokesperson of the PGA to John Rom. John Rom has been very outspoken and critical of the live. Um, and I was listening to the no laying up podcast on my way in uh, to work and eating away at me all uh, eating away at me all day of, is it time to start thinking of Rory maybe never winning another ma- uh, major? And hmm. at this point, do I think that Rory's been a great ambassador. I don't think that you can like downplay that at all, but Rom and Scotty Scheffler in my mind are kind of the, the new faces of the PGA. Um, Scotty's kind of got that Ben Hogan, Byron Nelson type um, stalwart uh, character kind of about him. And then Rom is just kind of this bulldog that just goes in. And so uh, I think that you kind of have to stay with that and, and move away from Rory a little bit. Well, and to, to that point too, and, and I'll, and, Speaking for Eddie, because I know both of us picked Rory to win this week, so that's that was pretty. Never, neat. I've never. I, it's like I texted you on Friday, TJ. It's like I was supremely disappointed yeah. with how he played, but I think we've started to get to a point where it's like when he goes to Augusta, he has a mental block there, right? Something, and there's something that just doesn't click because that course, the way that it's set up, it should play right into his hands. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Well, and to your point, uh, Spencer about. Uh, Rom and Scheffler. Scheffler was like the best ball striker all week and like quite literally the worst putter all week. Like he was dead last in putting for them the, enjoy- the majority of the tournament and he finished tied for 10th. So it's like he, he had a just, uh, he had one of us week on the putting greens, like just <laughs> terrible on the putting greens and finished tied for 10th at one of the hardest courses 
to putt at on the entire circuit. So, like, that guy, those guys, Rom and Scheffler, and then Rory to an extent, when they're on, like, they're they're impossible to beat. And so that's I, – I would say that Rom is an outspoken yet more reserved spokesperson for the PGA Tour. Like, he's, he, he gives his opinion, but Rory, like – like absolutely lets you know what it is. Rama is just very matter of fact, and it just kind of moves along his business. Rory is Rory has just been like the, almost the cheerleader, if you will, and and Rom's been like the captain. It's been one of those types of scenarios. Hey, d- did you guys hear? Uh, I think it was Jim Nance that brought up the whole numerology thing with John Rom. Um, four nine, kind of around the turn. Yeah, about four nine, and it was the fortieth anniversary of um, I think Seve's Masters win and uh for april 9th is sevy's birthday and he was number his caddy bib was number 49 it was wild the only other big thing i caught from jim nance was saying that brooks kept his ball was on the cw which was the crosswalk (laughs) (laughs) pretty good from nance nance was in his bag early and often on sunday i thought like right when the leaders were teeing off uh you know at one o'clock on sunday with or 1 30 with the intro that they did with you know i I thought it was a little overblown, but <laughs> to the to to the same extent, it was badass. Don't get me wrong. I just right. I like seeing those guys walk up to the tee box and seeing like more of the being able to sit back and kind of take in the moment. But it was all pretty cool. I John Rom, I think is is a very likable person. He seems like a really good uh, family man to a certain extent. I I think that what he has been able to. Uh, I don't know. It's like every time that he talks, he talks about Savvy and his reverence for, you know, the Spanish golf community. And obviously, uh, Savvy playing a big impact on his life. And not only that, but some of the stuff that he's talked about, just like the his, historian side of golf uh, is always fascinating to me. Just how the all time greats, which I think, you know, Rom is starting to slowly move his way into that role. How much uh, like just respect they have for the history of the game. And knowing, you know, every little tidbit of uh, history that comes with, like, what their profession is. I think that's really cool. One quick thing, but I know we're about to go ahead to a break, but we talked a little bit about Liv. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it. But the Spaniards, the history, you know, Olafable was there to give him a hug after. We heard all all week going in that the Liv guys are going to hang around and celebrate on the 18th green if they won. Sergio, notably not there to celebrate with John Rom. (laughs) After yeah, the, that's uh, a good point. After the Masters win. Not sure if he was there and just and was trying to stay out of the limelight. Maybe he already went home. I, I don't know. I don't know. Probably he was already home after missing the cut. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting. There was no one by the clubhouse. Every yeah, year, speed. there's always a couple of guys sitting right there before they go in to sign their cards. There was no one no. there. It was only speech. Was speech? Yeah, speech, speech yeah. was it. That's right. And that was just because he probably just literally gotten off the course yeah. 45 minutes before. <laughs> exactly. It's crazy. That's crazy. Well, hey, boys, let's get in a break real quick. When we come back, I've got some more points I want to make on the Masters and John Rahm as he gets his first green jacket. More after this on the Red Dirt Golf Hour, 107.7 The Franchise. Welcome back to the Red Dirt Golf Hour on 107.7 The Franchise. This is our Masters recap special. Jared Gallagher, T.J. Eckert, and Spencer Drury with our good friend Eddie Radosevich, the golf guru here at the mm. franchise. We're so glad he's joining us. And guys, we're talking John Rom getting his first green jacket. And I wanted to come back from this break and ask you, obviously the green jacket is like the, the that, that's the gym. Like that's the prize you want, right? Of, of all the, I'm talking physical prizes 
for any majors that you get. The claret jug's really cool, all of this stuff, but the green jacket is very special. But there are also some very cool jackets and other apparel that you get from winning on tour. I wanted to know if you couldn't get the green jacket, which other piece of apparel for winning a tournament would you prefer? I mean, we're talking the tartan plaid uh, at the RBC this week and also at Colonial. We have, let's see, I wrote down the cardigan at Bay Hill, which I think is pretty cool um, with uh, Arnold Palmer, the blue blazer at the Phoenix Open, and then that Punakana this year. They had, I don't know if you saw this, I believe it was Matt Fitzpatrick who won it at the Corrales, um, but they gave him a linen, like a smoking cigar smoking shirt, a linen shirt, and a straw hat. I thought that was really cool. I didn't know that. Matt Wallace? Matt Wallace, not Matt Fitzpatrick. I didn't know that that's what he got. That's a, uh, I, I think the, I, I'm a little afraid of the uh, the cardigan at, at the API. Like, that's, <laughs> I feel like that's like fat guy in a little coat, like bound to happen at some point, right? I mean, it just looks so small. I don't know if that would work out very well. I think the uh, both jackets are badass. The colonial, the tartan jacket, yes. uh, colonial, and I would even say, like, just from a a look standpoint, the jacket that you get this week for wearing, winning the RBC is much better than the green jacket. Now, granted, you everybody's gonna want to take right. the green jacket. So, uh, what's the uh, what's the one with the uh, the cock on top of it? Sanderson? Uh, the, uh, Sanderson? the Sanderson Farms, yeah. That's a that would be a sweet trophy just to have. I don't yeah. know if that <laughs> anybody necessarily wants to go win the Sanderson, but, but it'd be a sweet trophy. I'm a little worried though because I think a lot of like I think a lot of like middle aged women who like farmhouse probably have some sort of rooster in their house. So it looks like a lot of people have won the Sanderson Farms. You can get a Hobby Lobby and get yeah, that for half say. price. Sure, sure. <laughs> Isn't the they give out something pretty sweet for the Valspar too, don't they? It's like a. Uh, like, like a, a, a cobra looking type thing. It's, it's like, like a, a it's a paint can with the paint going with a paintbrush on top or yeah. something like that. Uh, I think. Well, and and they used to. I don't know if they do it anymore. The time I remember it was eighteen when Tiger won, which we need to talk about Tiger by the way. Um, he won the Tour Championship at Eastlake, and they gave that replica body Bobby Jones putter. I don't know if they do that anymore. Uh, that was the last time I, I saw them do it. But yeah, he won that putter and he like, when they gave it to him, he like twirled it and was like spinning it around. It's like, that's so cool. I wish I had something like that. <laughs> that's very cool. So I guess that that is a good segue to talking Tiger, uh, TJ, because um, this is, this was obviously a big storyline this week. Tiger uh, pulling out after the third round. I, he didn't even finish the third round, did he? he because like, they had the, they yeah, had the weather delay left, and yeah. uh, he had a handful of holes left. And so, um, yeah, who wants to open it up with Tiger talk? I mean, I, I think that like, and I, we, I talked about this on radio uh, going into the masters this past week was the fact that this was like the first time in maybe forever, maybe my lifetime that I couldn't talk myself into thinking that not only would he not compete, but I just like, I didn't know what to expect. Obviously um, when you don't play golf, it's going to be hard to get into the competitive uh, fires I, I, you know, it, it's almost kind of amazing looking back at last year and what he was able to do on Friday and Saturday, or I mean, uh, Thursday and Friday at Augusta, mm -hmm. uh, and putting himself into somewhat of contention. But with the weather, uh, you knew that he was going to be on the bad side of the draw. It's just like, I think it's, it's starting to get to the point now where I don't know how many times a year he's going to be able to, uh, you know, he's obviously going to hopefully show up for the, some of the majors, but uh, I, I just don't know if he's ever going to truly compete again. And that's a tough pill to swallow, but at the same time, it's kind of amazing just to see the crowds that follow, uh, the coverage that comes, 
and his just presence being at a tournament and how much it means to everybody in the golf community. So, um, you know, it's amazing. You hear Jason Day talking about the real reason why he uh, ended up withdrawing from the PGA Championship up in Tulsa. Uh, I don't think that we truly realize, like, how screwed that leg is at certain moments. And, <laughs> no pun you know, intended. No pun yeah. intended. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> And I, I think that it, it just like, I don't know, it, it, it makes you almost appreciate 2019 more and what he was able to do. And just that four day stretch of, you know, possibly never happening again. It's uh, it, it, I hope that someday it, it comes together and, you know, he gets a four days and we all talk about it. And we all cry together because it happened. But to think and expect that it will happen ever again is probably a little much. And, you know, when you look at the type of talent that is out there right now, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the Kyle Porter numbers that he threw out with uh, strokes gained. Phil Mickelson basically played the exact same tournament tournament that Tiger played in 2019, and he, you know, he for the better most part got beat by five strokes. So yeah. uh, there's going to be moments where you know maybe he gives us a couple days or a couple birdies and uh, puts it all together for you know 18 holes or 36 holes. But to think that he's going to be able to do it for 72 holes and you know, especially at a place that's as tough as it is to walk at, you know, Southern Hills or Augusta or wherever. Um, it's just, I don't know. It, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard for him to ever do that again. And I think that realization has been tough to overcome here over the last, uh, you know, three or four times that we've seen him in action. I'll start with a positive and a negative. How crazy is it for how bad his body looks and how terrible he was walking around on Saturday that he still Painful. made the cut <laughs> over guys like, of Rory, obviously, yeah. and, and a bunch of other elite yeah. type players. I mean, I mean, he will never say it, but we can say it for him. That simply just making the cut is is an incredible accomplishment, given where he's at with his health, and sure. given where his game's at. Like you said, the, his last he probably his last competitive rep was probably playing a big money game at Medalist like three weeks before the Masters. Like that, and that that's not the same. That's not the same as these right. guys playing week in and week out. So. The hope from the, the negative is that you're right. It, everything will have to work perfectly for him to really contend again. And I think what it will require is him playing the Genesis, him making the cut at the Masters, him being able to play the PGA, maybe getting the Memorial in, getting the U.S. Open in, and then somehow playing a course, a track that he likes with good weather in Scotland or Ireland or wherever for the Open Championship because it's flat and then getting that decent warmish weather because he's had four or five tournaments before to kind of get ready for that but the masters feels like a tournament he can just go walk out there and play well at because he knows the course so well but, but the 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 hills and the the walk itself are just probably too much for him to really truly put four solid rounds together so for me it, it feels like he's gonna have to be healthy enough to play in three or four or five tournaments before the open and then the open feels like probably the next major if he were to ever win again that would have to be the one he'd have to do it. And, and things would still have to work out perfectly. If he has great competitive reps going into the open and it's 45 degrees, he's not going to win. He's just not, he's just going to miss the cut or he's going to struggle because it's his back and his leg. So that's that's kind of where it's at right now. It's crazy just how poorly he putted on Thursday too. Sorry, Spencer, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I, I don't think there's any chance that we ever see him compete again until he goes the John Daly route and takes a cart. I mean – Compete and it's, contend, contend, right? You're talking correct. about correct. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, sorry. Uh, I, I think that it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that Tiger Woods doesn't have like the money and the access to like have his leg figured out by now. Which, 
I think that's kind of a testament to how like messed up it really is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it you almost lost it. So I mean, but it's still hard for me to wrap my head around the fact it's like, well, you're Tiger Woods, you're one of the most wealthy men like in America. Like, how how do you mean you can't get this figured out by now? Um, but I I just I don't think he's going to contend until well, he gets a cart or goes live and only has to play fifty four holes. <laughs> That's not a hot take. No one, no one. Yeah, there we go. No one run with that. (laughs) Uh, I want to, I want to ask really quick and and Jared, I'll let you chime in. You you had something. My mom actually brought this up while we were watching it uh, on Sunday night. Would it be better for him if he had his leg amputated and he had a prosthetic leg? Like would his, would the health of his leg be better if it wasn't a real leg? Like, I don't know. I mean, people play golf on prosthetic legs i mean there that obviously happens so it was actually a gen i was genuinely had to think about it and was like would he have the same ability with a prosthetic like because i don't know how much power you'd be able to drive off with a prosthetic i really i really don't know i don't know the answer to those physics questions but it's an interesting discussion like would be would he be in as much pain with a prosthetic leg i don't know perhaps i should try it i'll just have my leg amputated and we'll (laughs) see uh what kind of if i can add some uh some some yards to my uh driving off the tee Go, go the Oscar Pistorius route. I like that. Right, that's interesting. right. And, I, and then I could end up in prison just like him. Just need a girlfriend. What a that, path. That is interesting. And that, you know, that's a good point, Spencer, that you brought up is like, you know, if, if all the money in the world can't put his leg back together, it's like, golly, that thing just must be hamburger underneath there. You know, I mean, there's just nothing going on. And, um, you know, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow, but, you know, it's – it's hard to see where his career goes from here, right? Like, would you rather him try to grind it out and we see more of these, frankly, disappointing outcomes? Or would you rather him go ahead and take the honorary starter and, and we get to see you for 35 no. years as an honorary starter? No, absolutely not. I'd rather him keep playing until he can. So, so okay, do you go – I know he's always – you know, said, I'm probably not going to do the senior PGA, but do you, do you go the champions route? I mean, that he can find opportunities to compete there and then still play in his major championships. But you know, where are you going to find those opportunities? If you're tiger, I think some of the champions tour events are 54 holes. So, I mean, he could, he could play in a handful of those to get ready for majors in theory. I think they all are, except for the majors. Majors, right? right yeah. So I, I think he would be able to play. And if you, I, I think Nota Begay has said that he wants to play on the Champions Tour. Him being Tiger, not Nota Begay. I don't yeah. know what his plans are, <laughs> but I think he said that Tiger wants to play on there. So I, 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 that's probably where he would have to do it. Is yeah. is find fifty four holes somewhere to to get a quick tournament reps in and and go from there. I just don't well, know if the lake can can sustain it. I mean, I I think that like he's done everything he possibly can. It, I don't know how much the like is the plantar fasciitis is that part of is that a separate injury from the leg I guess is what I'm saying. I don't know. It's a good question. I, I really don't know. Don't know. I, I I thought that that's like what was affecting him the most. Joe Lacava talked about it on Tuesday or Wednesday before the Masters started mm-hmm. and that was the first time that I thought like if he's telling Lacava that he's not healthy and Lacava is comfortable with yeah. putting that out there it must be really, really bad. Jared, I've got to commend you being able to get through an entire segment talking about Tiger Come without on spreading your pure negativity towards it's him. It's not negativity. I just, I knew what was going to happen ahead of time. I prophesied it and we talked about okay. this in our preview. Okay. Ed, Eddie, Jared said before the week started that Tiger would scramble to make the cut and then fall off on the weekend as if that was some incredible prediction. It's like, it's like, 
Well, yeah, I think that's what I, I think that's what a lot of people thought was going to happen. I, I think I, don't, I think he's he gets upset because a he has to watch every single shot from Tiger, no matter where he's at in the field. Which sorry, he's the best. You think he's the third best? He's the best player of all time. You're going to see all of his shots when he's playing, and he's upset he's with like the fanboys. The reason why everything's yes. on television. And then there's fanboys out there who think that he's going to win every time he tees it up. Which you know, there's all that's always that. There's a thought in the back of people's head, but it's the just realistic over sensationalized. Yes, they don't. It's over sensationalized, yes. and it it frustrates me. But that doesn't make me any less of a Tiger fan. I'm still a Tiger yeah. fan. I can still appreciate what he's done on and off the course. Um, I just. In this day and age of where professional golf is, I think that there's more talent than there ever has been before. There's more competition than there ever has been before. And there's there's still the same opportunities to try to squeeze in a golf shot here or two. I mean, you even saw it. Look, if you just watched the broadcast this week, the CBS broadcast, it's the same old, same old. You're going to see every shot from the top two guys, and then you may see a decent shot here. I mean, Victor Hovland on on Sunday morning when he had had five or six birdies in a row, you're seeing his putts, but you're not seeing anything else. Yeah. Right. And then the second he makes a bogey or a double bogey, he's done for the day. You know, good thing we Russell, have the master's app. We could follow it, but. Russell Henley spent most of yesterday afternoon within five shots of the lead. And I bet you saw five shots. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that the, the complaint about the way that golf has been uh, broadcast is, I mean, it just, it, there's something that has to happen. They've gotten, they've tried to do some things that are different this year, just as far as like bringing drones in and stuff that I've appreciated, but like I, I could do without even the side stories. If they just ran through shots like live does, and I haven't watched a whole bunch of live, but they just ran through shots. That'd be completely fine. I don't yeah. need to hear people talk about it. No, Agreed. I've got to say one of the things that I, they've got to start fixing drives me nuts is the shots of the the ball midair where you can only see the ball flying through the sky doesn't like it does nothing for me mm. at augusta when they were sitting on 12 and they actually have the camera behind the player and you can see the shot coming into the green oh, okay. i need more of that not with i mean they do the shot trace and everything but like when they when they pan out and they've got the the camera up by the green and they show the ball coming into the green but you don't actually see anything until it hits the green that's one of the worst viewing experiences out there. Hmm. Show a little bit more, in my opinion. That's interesting. I've never I just, heard that I just hate when I just hate when shot tracer is odd. It's like we've had shot tracer for years and years and years at this point, and we're still finding ways to like catch a leaf blowing across <laughs> the fairway or something like that. I, I don't know how we don't have that dialed in by now. Shot tracer doesn't do anything unless you know what the target is. That's another thing they don't do a very good job of is like show me kind of what's up ahead. I mean. You can see the tee shot, and that's fine. And maybe you can see a bunker down down the fairway. But if they're approaching a green, they rarely ever indicate like where the pin is or anything like that. Well, we'll we'll be sure to email all of our complaints to you know admin at cbssports.com or something like that. Hey guys, let's get in another break. We come back, we'll talk more Masters golf and get our picks for the RBC Heritage. We're with special guest Eddie Radosovich here on the Red Dirt Golf Hour 1077, the franchise. Welcome back to the Masters Recap here on the Red Dirt Golf Hour 1077. The franchise boys, um, we're putting a bow on things here as John Rahm gets his first green jacket winning uh, 12 under a pretty good week for him as he advances to world number one. TJ, you had a, a couple of final points you wanted to make. Yeah, we talked about pace of play a little bit at the beginning. And hey, by the way, congratulations to Sam Bennett, low amateur, 
Just want to put that out there. there Happy for him. I will say he did. He withdrew from his college event this week, so it's kind of interesting where his priorities lie uh, in terms of his golf career. He's do, not there do you think he goes pro like immediately? Uh, pretty soon. I'm uh, pretty yeah. sure uh, he's he's definitely he can ride this momentum right now. But you know because what? He's he can still he can still play in the U.S. Open and the Open, right? I think it's exactly. I think so. Is the U.S. Sam? Yeah. So. He might take that. So I don't know. I'll tell you what, man, quarter million dollar check is hard to turn down. Hard to turn down. Hard to turn down. But uh, yeah, the pace of play was terrible. I think Cantley's group played in just under five hours, which in twosomes with hardly anybody on the course, that's embarrassing. With caddies, you're not even carrying your own bag. Not looking for balls. Everybody's in the fairway generally. It's pretty bad. So just want to make that quick point on the pace of play. Wish it was better. But we didn't talk about 13 yet. Coming into the week, we talked about 13 and was curious how it was going to look with the extra length. Uh, I, I didn't do a whole lot of research myself, but found other people's research to kind of pull from. So the the stats this year, they the scoring average was lower this year, actually, than it was in 2022. So it's 4.74 this year compared to 4.85 in 2022, which is interesting. Uh, there are fewer or just, I think there was more Eagles this year. But to that point, I saw a couple chip-ins from the fairway for Eagles, or not chip-ins, right. but hole-outs from the fairway. They're 60 yards, so more like hole-outs. So I don't know how I felt about the changes to 13. We can kind of do a roundtable if we want to, to do this. But it's weird because the decision was taken out of a lot of people's hands because they were having to hit, you know, right. pull head covers and hit fairway woods or hit two irons into that green. But not only that, the drama, at least recently, has been guys hitting short irons into the green or mid irons into that green and being able to hit it close. Now these guys, especially on Sunday, nobody was going at that Sunday pin. Ball's way above your feet. There's the pressure of Sunday. So everybody was hitting hooks into the little goalie on the left and the bunkers left. Nobody was really firing at that flag. So you're not seeing like the drama of Phil hitting from the pine straw and going right. after a flag with a like a shorter or a mid iron. They're hitting conservative shots going for the green still, which is super. But you're not seeing like the the close balls getting close, uh, Eddie to seeing those balls like really come close and seeing a bunch of Eagles in my opinion. Yeah. And you know, I, I guess we're going to have to wait and see because I don't know like how much of this it's kind of like 15 last year when they mm -hmm. pushed the T box back and then it was the weird win that they had and you yes. weren't really able to get a good feel for uh, the, right. the new style of 15. Is it the same this year with 13 and that it was just so wet out wet. there. Yeah. So soft yeah. that everybody knew that if you took a three wood or if you took whatever uh, into the green on your second shot, you could just almost place it back there and it mm -hmm. wasn't going to roll away. It wasn't going to do a whole lot. So I'll take a wait and see approach. I liked it. I did think it was funny. Everybody was bitching and complaining about the new look of the hole and nobody was going to go for it. And then you have like past champions pulling five wood out <laughs> yeah. and going for it in two on yeah. Thursday. It's like it completely defeated the process. So um, I kind of liked it. It's a little bit weird. Like, uh, having been there, like it was already a long walk back behind 12. Sure. And now it's like, I mean, you were literally walking 150 yards back into that, uh, foliage. It's kind of crazy to me just how far back they are now. But, um, I don't know. I don't know if I like the new look and like even Rom yesterday. And I thought it was, uh, uh, kind of crazy. Like how, far around the corner yeah. he got even on his drive on uh -huh. Sunday. Yeah. So uh I I don't know. I I thought it ended up being okay. It was, it was probably fine. an overblown yes. story at the beginning of the week and then it ended up not being that big of a deal. I would have liked to have seen 
you know, on the back nine on Sunday, there have more shots of consequence as far as like, does he go? Does he not go? Sure. Thought a little bit on 15 with Rom and he took the smart play. I mean, he took out a wedge and, uh, or, you know, whatever he hit on a second shot mm-hmm. and laid up and it kind of took all the suspense out of it. So, uh, you know, I guess that's, that's, that's kind of what you, uh, you earn though, when you build a three, four shot lead, you don't really have to have a whole lot of suspense there. Well, it kind of seemed like there was a lot of that from a lot of people <clears throat> like, 12 was a, I, I, I just in what I was watching, I didn't see many hit race Creek. I didn't see, I mean, Scotty flew and kind of got himself in some trouble there. Majority but, were long. Yes. Yeah. It, it, the course itself this year, it played different than it normally does. And 13 is a good example. They, people were laying up. I, it would have been awesome just to see Rom just double birds, everyone and just rip a three wood or, you know, just, I don't know. It just, it, Everyone, it seemed like, was playing pretty conservative, and I think the weather was the biggest factor in everything, just not getting the rollout. But, yeah, the, I, I thought the changes to 13 were good. I like the I like the extension. The best viewing experience was when they had to, to postpone play or suspend play whenever it was pouring rain and it was 40 degrees and those guys were absolutely <laughs> grinding. That was the best part was watching those guys struggle, in my opinion. But it's also the reason the course probably played a little more tame because it was playing so soft and – there wasn't those rollouts that you normally see. That's kind of what it felt like. It was yeah, awesome it was also... hearing Adam Scott talk about 18 and having hit like three wood yeah. into the green <laughs> yeah. and not get it there. Yeah, it was crazy. Awesome. Um, I'll say this for the estimated price tag of 25 to 40 million dollars that it costs to put that T box back there. I don't think we um, got 25 to 40 million dollars worth of drama out of that hole. Of course, many many years to see. That's my thought on that. Um, a couple of other quick notes, guys. We didn't even touch on trees falling down. That was wild. Was that <laughs> not the craziest? Insane. And how efficiently it was cleaned up like it never even happened. It's crazy to me that nobody was injured. Yeah. Because yeah. that is a area where it's one of the best spots on the course to watch. Uh, you can kind of, you can see 15 green. You can see 16, obviously. You turn around and then you can, you're right on top of 17 tee box. It's a really cool area and there's, uh, pavilions and stuff behind 16 uh, concession stand, all that kind of stuff. So it's like a very high traffic area hmm. and for nobody to get hurt is it, Wild. It, it, it's <laughs> a little bit of a miracle. Well, and <laughs> quickly Kevin Van Valkenburg or KBV for no laying up kind of had the old man yelling at clouds take where he said, I can't believe that Augusta feels safe bringing anybody back out until they test every single tree. It's like, you kidding me? You want to, want to knock on all the, all the barks to see if they're all going to fall. Like, And the crazy part is they probably had a hundred arborists on site overnight to, (laughs) to do something right. Secure trees or something. And Fred really like, I I, I guess the beginning of the ceremony, like congratulated, like the horticulturists and like, they got a standing ovation. (laughs) What what did you do? It is That's truly wild. amazing, and I know that that place drains extremely well, but it's kind of crazy that watching it Sunday afternoon, knowing how much rain yeah. they yes. over the last 48 hours, or 100%. You know, better part of 36 hours, and like you couldn't even tell. Like There's some places uh, that would have literally standing water, and you couldn't even, and I'm sure that you could tell if you were there and stuff, but it was just kind of wild to well, see on television, but not many- surprising. How many other courses in America, if they had raised Creek at the bottom of their property, property that would be overflowing by sure. feet with sure. as much rain as they got. It's yeah. crazy. All right, boys. Well, we've got to get going here. Uh, real quick, before I let you guys go, um, 
Eddie, we have a segment that we call the last loop and I'll abbreviate this, but I have two questions that I want to ask you uh, real quick from our last loop segment. We ask all of our guests, first of all, who is your dream foursome from Oklahoma and what course are you playing in the state of Oklahoma? Ooh, like, so anybody from the state of Oklahoma, anybody, uh, let's go. I guess it'd probably have to be Southern Hills because I haven't gone up there to play yet. Hmm. Uh, let's go. Go my dad, Bradford, and I don't know, one of my best buddies, probably Jeff's guy named Jeff Snowden. We play quite a bit of golf during the summer together. You guys can come, you guys can just play behind us. Yeah, the next group. We'll, we'll Patrick Cantley, you, and uh, you'll, you'll have to take forever. Uh, yeah, Brad, Bradford's on my team, and then we'll give them a couple strokes. Very good. Very good. And finally, you have to switch places for a day with somebody that has the same name as you. Okay, I'm going to give you three options. Okay. Do you go with would, do you go with 2017 world's strongest man and former world record holder for the deadlift at 1,102 pounds, Eddie Hall, Golden Globe winner for his role as James Thunder Early in the 2006 musical drama Dream Girls, Eddie Murphy, or former University of Oklahoma, and I'm taking uh, some liberties with this one, former University of Oklahoma standout and the first ever Mexican to be drafted into the NBA, Eddie Eduardo Nahara. Oh, I, I think we'll probably have to go with Eduardo Nahara because I can't imagine that uh, Eddie Murphy or the other uh, power lifter guy. I, I don't think that there would be too many things that we would uh, have in common that I would like to do. So uh, <laughs> maybe Eduardo Nahara. And I'm not really sure. I think he's coaching right now in the G League. So uh, maybe the owning in the G League. I'm, I'm not really sure. So. He's, a, he's a scout. I looked this up because I, I had to find all of his details, but he's a scout now for the Mavericks. He was coaching okay. the uh, – <laughs> Uh, the G League team for the Mavericks, but now he's a scout. There you go. Yeah, I'd, I'd hang out and uh, maybe stay at Zaza or something down in Dallas. <laughs> that, that sounds about right. Jared, how did you not include Ed Lore on that? Yeah. I should have gone Ed Lore. You're right. You're right. <laughs> and I My would apologies. trade places with Ed Lore. That wouldn't be too bad, although yeah. I have never hit a golf ball left-handed, so that would be tough. <laughs> That would be tough, absolutely. <laughs> well, and I'm notable omissions from your Oklahoma Dream foursome. Governor Kevin Stitt figured you guys were pretty tight, but I didn't know. We're, we're probably – our. Uh, my handicap would prevent me from playing with him. I, okay, I fair play with 25 fair, plus. Fair enough. Kevin Stitt was the one that I assumed would make it on the list, but that's okay. We need to do it really quick, though, with our picks for the RBC. We need to do our standings with Spencer, and then we're going to have Eddie do a pick as well. So, Spencer, why don't you tell everybody why I'm in last? All right. Well, shocker, uh, TJ MC'd again. Uh, so, he's pulling up total points of four. Jared and I are actually tied now. Uh, at 10 points total so yeah we'll jump in this week i got first place this week so i'll go first okay um i'm going to go with sam burns okay seems like a good Jared, pick. you'll go and then uh tj and then eddie you'll round us off sam burns is a good pick i'm gonna go ricky fowler this time because i think he is scorned from not uh making the masters field nice. last week he's also playing pretty well um and so i'm gonna i'm gonna go ricky fowler i think he at least makes the cut and will finish highly. It's a fair pick. You got to hit irons well. Who hits irons well? Colin Morikawa. Colin Morikawa is going to win the RBC. Uh, let's go. Let's go. Let's go with somebody that's hot coming off of uh, last week. Victor Hovland. Hmm. Love that. A couple Cowboys being picked today. Very good. I do think Very he's good. playing well enough that everything's going to come together for him at some point. I would not be surprised if you look up and he has another top five, top ten in another major this year. And a reminder, this is an elevated event this year. The, the uh, Jay Monahan, the PJ Tour, just just making life a living hell for all these top players on the tour by yeah. making them 
go from Augusta to the RBC. And uh, Spieth already said it. he's exhausted. He's played a bunch of golf already this year. So they're trying to keep up with mm. Liv, and they're wearing out their top dogs. Oh, what a horrible, horrible I know. Life, right? <laughs> I know. I'd do it, too. Playing for millions and millions of dollars, having to walk 72 holes. These guys just – Without uh, their yeah. bag. Got to spend the weekend along. at Hilton Head. Awful. <laughs> Hey, Eddie, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. And thank you for joining us this evening. Tune in again next week for more Red Dirt Golf Hour right here only on 1077 The Franchise.